So, just before we go to the Word, and David's going to come and uh, preach today, uh, I just want to welcome on your behalf and uh, invite up Jim and Kim. See, you finally got them. Uh, come on, come on up. Um, so, I'm not going to uh, say too much here. I'm just going to invite you to say who you are, why you're here. Tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing in Glasgow. We just heard it was free food, so we came here. <laughs> We're a part of a team traveling from Bethel Church in Redding, California. It's in the north end of California. Um, Bethel Church has what's called Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, they run around 2,000 to 2,500 students per year from well over 40 countries. People come from all over the world. They sell their homes and move to Reading and bring their families so that they can go to a three-year school there. And what happens is they're just immersed in the Word. They're immersed in the Bible and, and study. Our pastors um, present the Gospel and just emphasis on the presence of God. And they teach them ministry tools. And then at the end of the three-year term, the majority of them, the majority of them, some stay. We have a lot of coffee shops in Reading. <laughs> Yeah, but they go home and they take that all of the tools that they've gathered and all the things that they've learned and they take them back to their own homes and their towns and it's spreading the gospel it's like some go and we, we stay and it's equipping of the saints kind of thing going on and it's just a wonderful way so the students, we have about 23 24 students here with us this week um, we started in Edinburgh, we're heading we'll wind up in Stornoway um, by the end of the week and we're just dropping into churches like this and serving in different ways. We were at the mission here in town a couple days ago and just had a wonderful time with your people there. And uh, over at Rehope, a couple nights back, it's getting blurry right now because of the jet thing. <clears throat> but um, it's just wonderful to be here and we just want to, it's a privilege to be here with you today. And here's my lovely wife to tell you what you want. <laughs> My name's Kim. Um, part of the school, this is part of their schooling, is, to, is a two-week ministry tip, trip. And so we have only 25, well, not counting us, probably 20 students and then the other leaders. So they're all over the world, too. The students are all over the world, and, and our team got to come here. And we're so thankful to come and, come and learn from you guys what you guys are doing. Um, I feel like I'm taking stuff back that... Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting us be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming. And I know that uh, uh, afterwards we're, we always invite people to wait for prayer. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's really good. Let me just say that sometimes it's really good uh, when when we go forward for prayer that we have people who don't know you at all. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest gifts can actually be being prayed for by people who don't know a thing about you. Because sometimes, you know, God is... Uh, able just to speak a word and you're like, how could they have known that? Well, they didn't, okay? I've never met Jim and Kim before they walk in today. Uh, Robbie, actually, I'm going to hold you up, Robbie, just so to stop you texting, actually, apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, uh -huh, yeah. Um, so, you did what uh, Jim and Kim just described. You did the, was it two, three years? Do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your own journey with Bethel? I didn't give you any warning at all. It's the best way, I think. 
thought I was just going to get to sit quietly and enjoy my coffee. Uh, so yeah, my name's Robbie. Uh, I am from Scotland, obviously, by my accent. But I went through Bethel School of Ministry uh, 2011 till 2013. Um, on my mission trips, I actually went to the Caribbean both years. Uh, these guys came to Scotland. I mean, sunned myself and drank coconut, real coconuts and stuff. So that was awesome. So uh, yeah, I spent two years at Bethel. Um, I've been back in Scotland for five years. Yeah, five years now. And uh, yeah, I had a great experience in Bethel and just since being back here, I get to work with churches throughout Scotland. And I've got a real passion and a heart for seeing uh, people stepping into their true identity and who God sees them. Um, and also with healing, I used to be the director of healing in Scotland and, and, and Ireland, and, and I work for Church of Scotland and work with churches all over Scotland in helping with outreach and evangelism and uh, mission and discipleship. Great, thank you. And, and Robbie, you might recognise Robbie because Robbie came and did a couple of seasons of training with us in, in when we were just getting prayer ministry established. And he's going to come back because we had to cancel one, so I'm sure we've got some. I'm sure we've got some weeks going. So. <laughs> I'm not quite warm. Anyway, so please do chat to to Jim and Kim or Robbie afterwards. And if the thought of going uh, on a trip to California for a ministry school for two to three years excites you, well, this may be the opportunity. Uh, this may be a divine encounter day for you. You never know. Anyway, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you later on. David, can I? <laughs> I didn't mean to make you jump there. <laughs> Are you reading or do you want to read? Oh, all right. So, what am I reading? <laughs> From 11? From 13. From 13. Okay. All right, since I'm here and I've got the mic, and then I will sit down and stop talking. Um, so let's read from God's Word. We're going to read Luke 24 <laughs> from verse 13, and we're going to read right through to verse 49. So it's the Emmaus Road journey. Ah, journeys, right. Um, and then on into Jesus' appearance. So we like just to stay with the resurrection you know it'd be very easy to package up easter and say well take we've done easter again but let's just stay uh, with the resurrection because the gospel writers and the early church and the apostles stayed with the resurrection for all of these uh, weeks trying to understand and believe and, and get their heads around the implications of what it meant so we're going to read the emmaus road journey today now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our own companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. May God bless his word to our understanding today. Jim and Kim, you and the team are going up as far as Stornoway, so we just thought we'd do a little preparation for you. So David's from Stornoway, so you can tune into the accent before you get there. David. Thank you, Alistair. Thank you for the reading. And, uh, thanks for having me. My name's David. I'm the student minister here training at St. George's Thomas Nice. We all met before. Hi. It's lovely to see you, and it's a privilege to be sharing God's Word with you today. Again, Luke 24, continuing with the resurrection as we have been in that, for, in that as a church for a few weeks. And 
We have the resurrection and we celebrate Easter and we think about the power and the glory of Jesus rising and it's a triumphant moment. And I wonder what happens at the times we maybe feel a wee bit left behind by Easter. Because while that's communally what we celebrate and that's what we uh, enjoy rightly, at times maybe the next week after we kind of think, oh man, I don't feel all that different. Maybe there was stuff going on in our lives beforehand and it's still going on and that can be difficult. And you know what, this passage of scripture, the way Luke records it, Luke's always concerned for those on, who are outliers, those who are weak and know they're weak. And the way he records it, he shows us that you might be in good company because the disciples didn't exactly get it 100% the week after the resurrection. They didn't exactly in this passage experience unending triumphalism. And they needed some help and they needed some encouragement from Jesus and maybe that's where we find ourselves today. And, I pray that by the help of God's Spirit, that in His Word, that we will find that as we look to this passage. So, normally I like to have two, in fact, normally I almost always have three points. You might have noticed that by now. Um, I don't today, so special surprise. I just thought we'd walk through the text with the verses as we find them. And as I was meditating on this this week, I just wanted to walk through the flow of it. And um, I hope that that will be beneficial to us. Got the Emmaus Road thing that happens just before it, and these two unknown disciples, obviously on the outline group, and Jesus thought it important in his post-resurrection appearances to come alongside them and start to preach the great sermon that was ever preached, besides maybe the one that was preached to the disciples right here. The difficulty with coming to this passage of scripture is that you're talking about how well and perfectly Jesus would have explained the scriptures. You're trying to explain the scriptures, and it's no way going to be anywhere near what Jesus did. Man, I wish I'd been there, I wish I'd heard it, wish we had that sermon. But we don't, and maybe that's part of the mysteries, that we have to kind of unlock what Jesus was doing with his disciples. But the first thing he does is he, there are these Emmaus guys, they're excited, they're like, Jesus is alive, he's explained everything to us. They come to the eleven, who aren't in a good place. There, uh, John elucidates for us that they're behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, the temple guards and priests. They're full of fear. They're really struggling with the events that have happened. And these guys bring their testimony to them. And while this is happening, this is where we find ourselves, Jesus coming to the disciples. While they were still talking. So verses 36 to 39, the first thing that Jesus does to them when they're in this place is he looks to bring peace. You read it there at the beginning. Jesus stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Now, our word for peace maybe seems a wee bit anemic compared to what Jesus would have communicated to them. Jesus would have used their own native tongue and said, Shalom, powerful Jewish word that communicates so much more than just what we understand to be peace. Often we think of peace as, well, I don't know, a placid lake, absence of trouble, Things aren't too disturbed. This isn't just what isn't there. This is what is there. Uh, to say shalom to a Jew was to want to confer the highest possible good and blessing on someone. It is to want to just dump on them the ultimate goodness. And that's what Jesus communicates to them. It's otherworldly. It's a peace that originates in the being of God. Jesus said it in, I love how the Gospels work together, John sheds more light on it. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives it. Because God is actually the source of the idea of shalom. 
The only way, he is all goodness wrapped up in himself. The only one who can really confer goodness and blessing on others. And Jesus shows up and he's saying, I know that you're fearful. I know that you have a lot of anxiety. I'm conferring the highest good and possible blessing and goodness upon you. And they needed this. Can you imagine what the disciples had been through in that week? You probably can, because you've probably experienced shades of something similar. The utter devastation of hope. You know, all their hopes and expectations from where they saw the world at the time was on Jesus being a conquering king. He's dead. Not just dead, but he's been tortured brutally and mercilessly. So there's not just, okay, the guy and the worldview and the religion that I'd staked everything on, that seems to have died. Which is massive. How many of you ever had a crisis of, I don't know what I believe anymore. But then there's the physical and the political threat of, they did that to him, they know I'm friends with him. I could be next. I probably will be next. They're in a terrifying and a difficult place. And Jesus comes in and he says, first he confers uh, the, positive, the highest possible good and blessing on them. And then he starts to talk to them. He says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Now you'll know that God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. But he asks a lot of questions in the scriptures. Jesus asks a lot of questions in the Gospels. To Mary, woman, why are you crying? To the two on the road, what are you discussing as you walk along? To the disciples, why are you troubled? You know, Jesus is called in the Old Testament wonderful counsellor. And if any of you know anything about counselling, a lot of it's just based on questions. It's just looking to open up a channel. To start to bring a channel into their heart where he can confirm that peace. Because Jesus said peace to them. And he loves them so much that he knows it didn't go all the way in. They're still freaking out like they saw a ghost. They're still confused and anxious. He starts to ask them, why? What, what, what are you troubled by? What's really going on in your mind? It's out of his love that he asks the question to get to the root and the center of their anxiety because God made our whole being. God made our minds, our hearts, our emotions. He knows the way we tick. And for those who belong to God, he cares intimately about how that world functions. And he's looking to get a channel of peace deep into their minds. And what does that mean for us? Well, we can rest in the, in the peace of God over our anxiety. I know it's easier said than done. I've got that t-shirt. But you know, if you belong to God, then it's not just the testimony of the Gospels. The whole of the testimony of Scripture comes together to reassure you that God's heart is set on you and that his plans for you are purely good. It doesn't mean the absence of difficulty as, and peace doesn't mean that either. But it does mean the full force of God's goodness is your inheritance. It does mean that he works every circumstance in your life towards the end of your good. That is his great plan for you. That is his great hope for you. And the fact that Jesus is alive shows that it's a possibility and not just that kind of reality. We can have the peace and the shalom of God. We can trust that God is bringing everything together for good. And even just in this narrative, and you might think, I, I know all that, I know all that here, but life doesn't feel like that just now. Well, he's doing this to the disciples. You might think, my faith isn't actually believing that just now. It's not big enough and not strong enough. You know what? That's okay. Because these guys that he's talking to are the plan and the instrument by which 
God's purposes and his saving a whole bunch of other people are going to happen. And they don't really get it right now. And they're not terribly peaceful right now. And so just take hope in the fact that you know the end of the story. You know these guys are going to preach powerfully and they are going to have unshakable faith. You don't always need to feel it today. You just need to know that God is speaking his peace over you. If you belong to him, that is his heart and his disposition towards you. His shalom. And then what does he do next? This is all just based on the actions of what Jesus does for his disciples. Well, then verses 39 through to 42. Look at my hands and my feet, he says. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bone as you see. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. And he asked them for anything to eat. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Demonstration. Next, he shows them. He said, you don't have to just... He's conferring his peace on them. But he's also, I can demonstrate this to you. I'm real. I'm really alive. I'm really not dead. And he's confronting some difficult beliefs in them. You know, they were good Jews. So they would have believed that there was a resurrection sometime at the end of the age. But they didn't see it happening like this. You see, the Old Testament Jewish belief was everyone's going to rise at the last day, kind of like we believe. But that's going to be the end of the world. And nobody's going to rise before that. That's the day God's going to judge the world. And the resurrection's all tied up in that. They had no kind of space in their worldview for one guy rises first. And this is what Jesus is grappling with. He knows what they're struggling with. And he starts to come in and starts to work with that. And there's all this interplay in this bit where he's trying to reassure them. I'm, you know, I'm not a ghost. I'm not just a shadow. Again, they're in first century Palestine. There's a lot of Greek influence. The Greek belief was that uh, the afterlife was a world of kind of shadowy beings. Um, it's kind of somewhere halfway between this world and that world. It's kind of ghoulish. We actually kind of still largely believe that in our culture. That our idea of ghosts in some way can be traced back to that kind of idea. And this is the dominant culture of the day. So whether the disciples wholeheartedly believed that, um, that that's what it was like after death, or whether that's just the common belief and they're somewhat influenced by it, this seems to be what Jesus is trying to engage with. And he's like, look, it's, it's real, it's physical. There's the holes. We have to admit, you know, so much mystery here. How is he a body and how is he spirit? Um, Paul shed some light of it in 1 Corinthians 15:40. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and earthly bodies is another. He's talking about what people who are saved are going to be like post-resurrection. We can't, you know, do a kind of physiological diagram of it. We can't sketch it all out in totality. But there's a reality to it, and even though we don't fully understand it, it doesn't make it any less real. And he's getting them to engage with that. He's kind of saying, you might not fully understand this, but it doesn't make it not real. It is real. It is me. I am here, and it's real. And you know, just as a side note, this, this affects everyone. Because Jesus Christ is real, and he's who he said he is, and he's alive, and he's risen from the dead. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, you have to reckon with that fact. There's not a secular historian in the world who will argue that he was a real guy who lived in Palestine. And even some people who don't believe will say there's overwhelmingly good evidence that these guys absolutely were convinced that they saw him resurrected. What do we do with that? He's real. It's not like any other religious myth uh, and its claims to give you some kind of inner peace or healing. The Christian claim is this is a guy who's dead and he's alive and he's real and he has a claim on your life. 
He's calling you to believe in him. He's calling you to trust in him. Gospel and the resurrection absolutely demands a response from us. But more specifically, why does he ask for some fish and to eat it? You know, I don't actually know. It's further demonstration that there's a reality to his body. It's physiological. It's not just ghoulish and spiritual. And sometimes we're under the influence of Greekness so much that we think that, you know, we get lost in the kind of world we'll be on clouds and we'll float away. And this just destroys all of that. No, it's very real. But I think that he wants to show them that their friendship will continue. How loving is that, you know? The disciples uh, had table friendship. We sit around here every week and we eat table at table and we have conversation and friendship and fellowship. And that was a huge part of their life together. It was a huge part of their culture. And I think he's communicating, I'm still here. I'm going to continue to be your friend. I've called you friends, not servants, he says in John. He's showing them that that's going to continue. And he shows us how real this friendship is. But also with the fact that, you know, he slipped through the door and nobody noticed and there's something also otherworldly which we can't deny. He's also showing them it's going to be different. It's still going to be friend, have friendship and fellowship, but it's going to be different to what it was. He's sensitive about where they are and what they're struggling with and he's demonstrating the reality of friendship. And what about us? Where is our friendship with Jesus? Maybe we've been struggling and the reality of the truth of the resurrection wasn't enough to uh, bring it back from where it was if it felt half dead. Uh, Martin Luther said that we'd actually, for those who are in God, we don't have to fear him like a slave fears a master. The sense of reverence that we have as a child to a father, but there's a lot of love invested in that relationship. And that's how we approach him. You know, friendship with Jesus is one of the most precious truths we have. And maybe we need to get back to realizing that. Maybe we need to just carve out some time. And whatever it is for us, listening to worship music, time in the scriptures, which we'll come to. But whatever it is for us, maybe it's just friendship with Jesus that needs to be refocused and take a priority again. He wants to show them that the friendship is a reality and it will continue to be a reality. And then we get to this amazing thing. After he demonstrates who he is, he brings peace, and then he shows who he is, and that he's alive, and that he's real, and that he's their friend. And then, this amazing section, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. I prophesied this on the way up to Holy Week. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Look at what Jesus calls the scriptures, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Other times he says uh, the law, the prophets and the writings. These are, we organize our Old Testament differently. The Jews organized in these three massive blocks, law, prophets, writings. And this is just another way of saying it. And what Jesus means every time he says this is, this is all scripture. The totality of it. Everything in the scriptures is God breathed. He doesn't leave anything out. And you know, there are competing theories, and there has been for like two centuries, over, well, some bits might be God's word, some bits might not be others. You know, if Jesus didn't think any of the Old Testament wasn't God's word, I'm very confident that it's all God's word. And I would take his word for it over anybody else's. But Jesus always addressed the scriptures this way. And then began to preach to them. Began to preach the most perfect sermon ever and showed them everything in the Old Testament. 
that pointed to him and how it finds its fulfillment in him and nothing was left out. He opened up their minds. And you know why we read all of this together? Look at what he does. He, he opens up their minds because that seems to be the word they're struggling with. They just can't compute all of this. On the Emmaus Road, as he was opening up the scriptures, their heart burned within them. The Emmaus Road, guys, the Greek word that was used where we get our word for cardio, cardia, it's like the seed of your desires. What really makes you you. I guess soul would be another good word for it. Um, where your will comes from, where your motives come from, the deepest part of you. And then here, the word is just what you think is the mind, the reason, the intellect. I love how Luke puts these things together because what's the implication? The word of God, with Christ as, as at its center, should bring your heart and your mind to life, with neither one left behind. And our faith gets so out of balance when either one of these does get left behind. You've got no heart, and it's just an intellectual exercise. Well, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus who make the scriptures an amazing intellectual exercise, but they do not believe in him as Savior and resurrected. And you solely focus on your emotions, and as the other epistles teach, then you leave behind right doctrine, and you might be leading yourself into deception. You need the heart and the mind together, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. You know, right Bible study with Jesus at the center, it kind of has no choice but to awaken your heart and your mind. There is enough in the scriptures to keep you, in your mind, intellectually satisfied for eternity. Not just a lifetime, for eternity. There is enough wonder and amazement and depth from the God who created your heart and emotions in his word to keep you enraptured for eternity. And you bring those together when you see Christ running through all of the scriptures. And we don't know what he said about the Old Testament. There are some hints that he might have mentioned something from Isaiah. Because he talks about a light going out to the rest of the nations. But in a way it doesn't matter. It's all about him. Maybe he took the grand sweep of the fact that there was creation. To men of all. And he is the one who bruised the head of the serpent. And that there's redemption and maybe he showed that he was the fulfillment of the law the last and final full sacrifice maybe he showed them that as jews their founding narrative uh, of their deliverance at the exodus with the red sea that he de defeated the final red sea death itself and that nothing in nature could ever come back around and threaten them and encircle them because he defeated their greatest enemy that he defeated all sin and darkness. That he was the perfect priest in a way Aaron could never be. That he was the perfect prophet in a way none of the Old Testament ones were. That the kingdom had to come through suffering as is in the Old Testament prophecies and not around it. Not with just triumphalism but that suffering is actually integral to how God brings his kingdom. That he was the true king from the seed of David who was going to rule on the throne forever and ever and not just over an earthly kingdom. Jesus used and needed the scriptures and trusted in them implicitly. And so I think one of the massive messages embedded in this is just how much we need the word of God. How much we need to hang on it for our very lives, it's our bread, our sustenance. I don't know where that leaves us today. Maybe we need a fresh love for scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to Open your mind to the scriptures if it's been a while since that happened. Ask the Holy Spirit to make your heart burn as you read the scriptures. Because why wouldn't we? 
It's his desire to give us the kingdom, he tells us. It's God's desire that we grow into maturity, and this is the way he's given us to do it. The word, I sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth, Jesus said. That's how we grow in God, because his power is in there. Maybe that's what we need to ask God for and have our minds open like the disciples and our hearts burn like the guys on Emmaus. And then the last thing he does in this little section before the ascension, which I'm not going to touch on because that comes afterwards in this series, but he opens their minds to the scriptures and then he shows them that he was going to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he says to them, you're witness of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised and stay in the city to the clothe from power and on high. What's Jesus doing here? He's putting the capstone on the story of the gospel. He's coming and showing all the disillusionment and the panic and fear that you've been having. Look, this is where this is going. This was God's plan all along. And he's reassuring them of that, but he's commissioning them. So he's worked with their minds. He's worked with their emotions. He's worked with their fear and their panic where they are. He's conferred peace on them. He's shown them who he is. Now, like with all disciples, he's saying, now you've got something to do. Now you've got a mission. Now you've got a purpose. Now it's time to go. Go and do this. And this is the wonder of the gospel is that God calls each one of us into personal, intimate, loving, fellowship, relationship with him uh, by the repentance and forgiveness of sins. There's no other formula. Walk away from your old life of sin and breaking God's law and accept his love for you poured out on the cross. And he calls us into that, but that's not the end of it. And we're not the end of it. We're not even the whole point. It's that God's going to be glorified by sending this message out through the whole world. And they got to be part of that, and we get to be part of that. And Luke lays out exactly how this happens if you read through Acts. It happens dramatically, powerfully. We're going to think about that in the coming weeks. The church explodes. And today, churches everywhere. Our friends here today are living proof of that. We're walking in the reality of this and the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesies effectively here. It works. It's everywhere. The gospel's gone everywhere. No government in the history of the world who hates the gospel has been able to shut it down. And they never will be. Because God's word endures forever. But this has an application to you and me as well. God wants us to be healed, sorted out, fixed up. And then he's got a job for us to do. And then he commissions us to take part in the great commission. It wasn't just for these guys and the disciples. Because he said, make disciples of all nations. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you're a disciple. You're part of this. You're part of this work. Uh, Peter says, you've got to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's inside you. Be able to explain to others. And you actually don't need to worry about being eloquent. You don't need to worry that you haven't studied as much as some people or whatever. Because... In some sense, that's good and well, but when the disciples had those worries, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to help you. He'll be a great mouthpiece for you, because he has the knowledge where you don't. He's able to speak through you to people. Some of you might have had experience of this. You start talking to people about your faith, and you don't even plan to say certain things, and then you're off on another train of thought, and you're just simply sharing the power of the gospel. The simplest thing you can do is say what God has done for you, what he's done in your life how he's transformed you, or how you are aware of being in a process of transformation, or even the fact that you have some understanding of the reality of who he is, and that he's risen, and that he's real, and that you know he's real. God doesn't ask us to be the best, most eloquent speaker in the world, the most gifted person. 
just asked us to show up. Just asked us to be ready to share, ready to speak, and take part in this great commission and this spreading it out. And that doesn't always look like full-time ministry or working for a Christian organization or charity. It's just being ready, available, and willing. Holy Spirit lives in us. We trust in Jesus. Where does God maybe asking you and me to be ready to share, to take part in the Great Commission? Or maybe does it involve a change in life circumstance to answer this calling? I don't know. We are the disciples of today. And Jesus does the same things for us that he did then because he doesn't change. He confers the ultimate good and peace and blessing on us because we belong to him. There's no condemnation to us when we trust in Jesus. He shows us that he is real, as real as the breath that we're breathing. And he shows us the reality of his friendship and that we can have that with him. He opens our minds to the beauty and the wonder of the scriptures and makes our hearts burn with passion for them and for him. And he calls us and he sends us to keep this great mission going. May God bless his word to us today. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that in your love and in your care for your creation, for us, you're the, the sheep of your pasture, that you are a tender and a loving shepherd, that you meet us at our point of need and you build us up when we are weak. Help us today by your spirit, O oh God, uh, to have your words sink down into our hearts, to have our minds opened to the reality of who you are and how the scriptures testify of you. And to go into our work and our world and whatever we must do this week with a fresh sense of the commissioning of God. That if he has bought us, who can be against us? And that he goes before us in all things. We bless you, Father, for your revelation and your truth. And we bless you for the risen, ascended Jesus and the power with which he calls us by his spirit. All these things we ask in his holy and precious name for his sake and glory. Amen. Hand over to the banner. So let's stand again.